In episode two, there's a scene where the character Hangul is inside a tub, and he's, he's actually attempting suicide with a charcoal briquette. But because that's not something you see often in other parts of the world, I noticed that they didn't understand that he was trying to take his own life. Some people were saying that, "Oh, why is he enjoying a bath in the hot tub in his suit?" And so that was something quite funny to me—the fact that it didn't really travel to other cultures. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The Awardist, where we are breaking down the state of the 2022 Emmys race and chatting with the actors, creators, and so many more who are contenders this year. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and welcome to what uh, folks in the industry here in Hollywood refer specifically to as, and I'm using air quotes here, phase two meaning nominations have been announced, final voting starts August 18th, and there is a whole new wave of campaigning underway across the dozens of categories. So many categories, though not as many as the Grammys, Um, but I digress. So joining me today to talk about some of those categories is EW's Sydney Bucksbaum, who um, I'm going to guess might be like mentally sitting on a beach, sipping a margarita with me in our Comic-Con afterglow. Is that fairly accurate? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mentally, I'm there. Physically, I am exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I I totally hear you. But you know, it was uh, it was such an exciting weekend. We actually had some Emmy nominees come through our photo and video suite. Uh, Nicole Byer was there. Jack Quaid was there. Uh, lots of others who I'm completely spacing on, but I'm thinking of them because I saw them <laughs> at our party Saturday night. Um, can you think of others? Not off the top of my head, but I know, there, right? there, were, there were a ton there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's where it, our brains are at these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but it was such a good time. It was so nice to be back in person. And um, I hope everyone stayed as safe as possible and we continue to uh, be healthy after that entire experience. Okay, so, you know, there is a show that was not at Comic-Con um, because mainly its streamer didn't have very much of a presence except for the show The Sandman. But I could totally see it there in the mix. People would go absolutely bonkers for it. Squid Game. Um, and we have series creator Wong Dong Yuk and the stars who are already SAG Award winners, Lee Jung Jae and Jung Ho Yun, are the main attraction of today's episode of The Awardist. Sydney chatted with them last week. And I got to say, these folks have had such a meteoric rise over the past uh, several months, 10 months or so. Um, when you chatted with them, did you feel like they were still kind of basking in the excitement of their their 14 nominations and making history as the, I'm going to get this right, the first foreign language series to be nominated for Outstanding Drama? Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting because for, at least for us, like in America and in, in American pop culture, they are all of a sudden like these overnight sensations uh-huh. and they're so popular and like, look at all these Emmy nominations, they're making history, blah, blah, blah. But for them, they're all actually really... Um, popular and, and and really well known in Korean cinema, like Lee Jung Jae has ha- he's like one of the most popular Korean mm-hmm. actors um, over there. So for them, it's more exciting that they're making this splash in American pop culture. Mm-hmm. And I think they were expecting maybe a nomination or two here or there, but they weren't expecting to get as many as they did because they're actually they have fourteen nominations across the board in both above the line and below the line categories. And I think they were definitely still in shock over that and processing that, but very excited about it. And they're all really excited to actually be at the Emmys and and experience that night for the first time. And I'm I'm really excited that they're actually going to make the 
the track over here because I know a bunch of them are in production on new projects right now. As they should be. We want and and need more from them for sure. But yeah, they, um, you know, as we were, you know, we, us at EW, so many other, uh, you know, prognosticators in the industry trying to predict certain categories. Um, I think they, they ended up with more, uh, certainly more with um, the acting nominations um, than many expected because they got some in guest categories in addition to uh, the supporting nominations uh, that they received. And it's all so well deserved. Um, so, you know, huge congrats to all of them. As it goes, when we, uh, you know, first we cover the show and then if shows are worthy, we talk to the people that are involved in them during award season. And of course, you want to try to keep those conversations fresh and new questions for them. And um, for everyone listening, Sydney and I were kind of talking about that before the interview and they're like, what do we feel like they have not talked about yet? And I... I, I hope and think we did, right? You you got some some info from them, some things that you've not heard them say before. Yeah, it was really interesting. We before the interview when we were when we were trying to brainstorm like what's something that they haven't answered yet, you brought up a really good point that was like this show is basically all antagonists yeah. and there aren't any real right. protagonists. Like there aren't like true heroes. Even, you know, the the main character played by Ling Jun Jay, like he he isn't a good guy. He's actually yeah. what we would consider to be a villain at, at the beginning of the story. Uh-huh. And obviously he takes on some heroic qualities near the end, but mm-hmm. like these are all criminals, people who have made really bad choices in their lives. Like even the people running the games, like these are all antagonists. And I asked, you know, director Wong and the actors, like, were they ever worried about how audience would view that? And if they would be able to root for the main characters mm-hmm. or if they were going to, kind of, you know, view them all as antagonists throughout the entire project. And, and they all said that they did, they did actually worry about that, that was a concern. Mm. But they were hoping to show that, you know, no matter what deep down, like even antagonists are humans. And like, <laughs> yes, they have made bad decisions, but that doesn't make them bad people. And, yep. and I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, certainly, I mean, in real life, when push comes to shove, uh, you know, in certain situations, people will react different ways. And we definitely saw that within uh, the games, how people, you know, really kind of reached down. They were like, hold on, I, I might be here because of like some poor financial decisions or things like that. But it doesn't mean like, I'm not a killer. And so there's certainly there's certainly a moral line for people. And that was really fascinating to watch be explored in that series, which uh, to this day, months later, I still can't stop thinking about, you know, it's just mm-hmm. um, that's, I think, the true mark of some really incredible uh, storytelling. Um, and by the way, they're in a category with a lot of other really outstanding shows. Let me <laughs> let me break this down here. Outstanding drama series nominees, uh, in addition to Squid Game, Better Call Saul, which is in its final season. The second half of that final season is airing now, and it's actually eligible next year. Uh, Euphoria season two, Ozark for its final season, Severance for its debut season, Stranger Things for season four, but not for those two episodes that came out on July first those are eligible next year uh succession for its third season and yellow jackets for its debut season i i mean <laughs> what a category you look at that and you're like holy cow we were blessed with some really fantastic television over the last 12 months mm-hmm. yeah and with some shows that i know i personally loved but was not expecting to get as much i mean love and and nominations as they did. Like, I mean, Yellow Jackets, fantastic show. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to see them make it into this category, like very pleasantly surprised, yeah. but definitely shocked to see them break into here. I, and, I, and it really is well-deserved because they, um, they really, 
captured uh, audiences' attention in a way that um, shows don't always do, um, especially ones that are this violent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, obviously, Squid Game <laughs> did. We we're talking about Squid Game, but you know, when it, you know, you want to compare really kind of one to the other, they should be in the same sentence because uh, I, I don't know what it says about us that we were all into that kind of stuff right now during the pandemic. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I guess, you know, we're hopefully on our way out of the pandemic. Um, also worth noting, by the way, uh, the uh, cast uh, and team behind Severance, they also came through our Comic-Con suite. Mm-hmm. So more Emmy nominees were there. I don't want to go so far right now for us to make predictions, but here's what I think I will say. There are some shows that I think are way more ahead of the pack than others. I think this is maybe probably a two-show race, maybe a third I would put Squid Game and Succession kind of really going for it. But I could see Ozark getting in there with the win. Maybe. uh, I don't know. I don't think I'll go so far to say Severance. But um, Ozark Mm -hmm. uh, had a ton of fans. And that show just got better and better and better uh, right up through that finale. Yeah. And I think because it's the final season, I think that might sway voters a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Succession obviously is a huge awards juggernaut, yeah. but I, I do see Squid Game putting up quite a fight. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to compare this to like the Oscars season and like Parasite coming in for that surprise win, but it does kind of feel like we're on that path and seeing history being made in the same way on the TV side right now. So yeah. I, I could see Squid Game doing some kind of sweep. I, I'm right there with you. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the two, uh, our two actors, they won the SAG award for their individual categories, but then the succession cast won for ensemble. So that, that keeps, uh, things super interesting too, because, uh, you know, once they won their categories, we're like, Oh, squid game's going to take everything. Nope. Those, uh, those SAG voters, um, you know, kept a little surprise in there for us. So it's even hard to go based off of that, um, to figure out, you know, who's going to win. But, um, honestly, Honestly, if any of these shows won, I don't think I would be mad about it because um, they're all <laughs> so good. But I think we're looking at Succession and Squid Game, one of those two winning. We've been talking about Comic-Con and, uh, you know, some of these um, shows that have such a, you know, an enormous fandom. And many of them did get Emmy nominations. Uh, the day of those, you kind of wrote up everything, uh, all of these Marvel series and, and what they were nominated for. First, let's talk about Oscar Isaac uh, from Moon Knight, uh, his show Moon Knight. It led with eight nominations. He was nominated, not for that show, though, uh, very rightfully nominated (laughs) for Scenes from a Marriage. Um, Were you surprised, though, by the way that he did not get a Moon Knight nomination? I felt like a lot of people, it it seemed like maybe there was a a last minute push to get him in there because of the many, um, I guess it's appropriate to say, the many kind of personalities um, that he you know, kind of had to portray through the series. Yeah, I, I think if anything, I mean, something that's worth noting is that obviously last year was history making for, you know, Marvel and, and mm-hmm. comic book shows making, you know, getting nominations above the line in like the major categories. But this year, all of the Marvel shows that were nominated, they all got multiple nominations each, but all in below the line categories. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that says more about the crop of shows that we had during this eligibility period. And I yeah. think- None is more true than, you know, Moon Knight. Like that show was pretty, I mean, it was it was terrible. And so <laughs> if it was going to get anything in above the line, it would be for Oscar Isaac's acting. But I think that show just was 
that's not good enough to even get that. Like it would have almost felt wrong for it to get a nomination in an above the line category, even though he was Mm -hmm. so good in in portraying all those different personalities. He Um, definitely did not rise to the level. (laughs) uh, Yeah. It definitely did not rise to the level of um, WandaVision. For sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Um, Yeah. Loki was behind that. Loki got six nominations. Marvel's first animated series, What If. I love seeing the three nominations for that show. One of those, by the way, is for uh, Chadwick Boseman's voiceover performance, um, a a posthumous nomination, obviously. Um, Sydney, remind me here, he did record some of this before he passed uh, but then yes. they also use some stuff that they kind of already had archive audio from him. Yeah. So he actually, he recorded um, one of the episodes before he passed and then they kind of used some other um, things that he recorded for multiple episodes, but it was really for the, for episode two of what if that was all about um, if, what if T'Challa had been captured by the Ravagers and became Star-Lord instead of um, Peter Quill. And, mm-hmm. and it was really just a lovely episode it was full of hope and inspiration and just portrayed Bozeman's T'Challa in such a beautiful way that I was so happy to see it get this nomination um I think I was more surprised by what ifs um getting nominated for outstanding animated program because I mean it really it deserves the nomination but I was it didn't get as much um fanfare I think as Mm -hmm. some other programs nominated in that category so I I was really I was really happy about that yeah, uh, you and you and certainly a lot of people. Um, uh, and then uh, also from uh, the Marvel television universe, uh, who should call it cinematic universe, Hawkeye got two <laughs> nominations uh, as well. More below the line stuff there. Very well deserving mm-hmm. for all those craft nominations because they, their their visual effects team, they're obviously like sound and all that stuff. They do such a fantastic job. And and when we're talking about like you know you look at the Oscars, uh, it's often action movies that are the ones that are getting you know the editing and sound and all that stuff because they have so many uh, things to deal with in those big um, set pieces. So it makes sense that that would happen here as well. Um, Looking at what Marvel teased this year at Comic-Con, I say that knowing that the majority of it was movies, but there was a little bit of TV. Uh, Is there anything that you're kind of hopeful will rise to a level of WandaVision and and be a big Emmy contender in the future? Yeah, it's hard to say because we haven't seen anything yet from it, but um, She-Hulk Attorney at Law is Marvel's first half-hour comedy series. And so I am really optimistic about that show, especially with Tatiana Maslany in the the lead yeah. role. It, I don't know if, if you've seen Orphan Black, but she is oh, yeah. one of the best actors of our generation. Uh. She played about like 10 different <laughs> characters on that show. And, and the each Emmys of them lover. was so different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it, like, she's just so, she's so good at what she does. And I'm really excited to see her in a comedic role. Um, mm. So I think that could maybe be the first Marvel show to break into comedy series. Mm. Well, Time will tell. I, I'm really looking forward to that one. It's coming up very soon. Um, and I, I think she was, I don't want to say an unexpected choice, but a kind of an unexpected choice. I don't know who <laughs> I thought was going to play her, but once it was announced, it was like, oh, of course, she's going to be great in this. And, and I hope that certainly uh, you know, holds true once we uh, we'll, we'll know once we all get to see episodes. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think it is that time. We should take a quick break. Uh, right after this, it's an interview you do not want to miss if you love Squid Game. And if you didn't, well, uh, I mean, listen anyway, because the team behind the show and the, and the talent, it's just phenomenal. Uh, so stick with us. Sydney goes in depth with the creator and stars of Squid Game. The award us. We'll be back after this quick break. 
Welcome back to The Awardist. Squid Game broke Netflix viewing records when it debuted in 2021. As I mentioned earlier, it's a show I cannot stop thinking about. So many audiences, uh, so many viewers interested in uh, the the conception of these various games that they had to play during the show and the mindset of all of these characters. Well, we are digging into all of that and so much more right now. EW Sydney Bucksbaum in conversation with series creator Wong Dong Yuk and stars Lee Jung Jae and Jung Ho Yun. Enjoy. Thank you everyone so much for joining me to talk about Squid Game and congratulations on making history with all of your Emmy nominations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So first of all, how did you all find out about all of your Emmy nominations and what was your reaction when you learned about how many nominations both you and the series received? I was actually working on the script for the second season in Jeju Island, and I logged on to watch the nominations uh, real time online. And I have to be honest, I was looking forward to it. But when I got online and it started to, uh, it actually started, I, did, I became a little bit nervous. I got kind of worried about maybe us not making it. But we were truly excited to see so many names of our actors and members of the staff being nominated. And I was particularly uh, elated about the fact that Hesu, for the first time, is now nominated as the best supporting actor. I was glad to find out that director Huang got nominated as he deserved it. He should have nominated before like lots of things. Anyway, Skid Game was nominated in on many, many, many awards, but especially for director Huang himself got nominated was fascinating. <laughs> I was very happy to see that Squid Game was nominated for so many categories. And like Director Huang said, I was especially happy to see Hesu getting recognized finally. Um, we've been to many awards and I had looked forward to Hesu being nominated, but it never actually happened. So we were extremely excited to see that finally happen at the Emmys. And I can only really just uh, look forward to all the time we're going to be spending together in LA. I truly hope that it's going to be as meaningful and enjoyable an exciting moment that we can all remember. Absolutely. And um, since Squid Game was the first non-English uh, series to be nominated at, for Best Drama, why do you think Squid Game was the first series to break that record? Well, I would have to say it's probably because it is the most watched Netflix series ever uh, in terms of viewing hours. And as for the theme, I think uh, the secret lies in that we dealt with a subject matter that transcends culture, language, nationalities, uh, and really resonates with a lot of people today, with the theme being the poor risking their lives to take part in this huge game that was designed and built by the rich. And I think that storyline resonates with a lot of people globally. And thankfully, the Emmys nominated us and invited us. And Director Huang, when you were developing the show, what were your biggest hopes and dreams for the impact that the series would have on American pop culture, let alone the international pop culture? 
Well, I have to say, we did. I didn't expect it to be this great of a success uh, during the process. However, I did have hopes, and I was uh, I, my target or, or goal was to create a series that could be at the top of the Netflix top ten list. Um, and I didn't really have a very ambitious goal when I was making this in terms of that aspect, but rather I wanted to focus on uh, creating a story that would reach and resonate with many people as possible, not just only the Korean audiences, but I hoped that Western audiences and global audiences would relate to the story. Um, and not just the subject matter, but also the visuals as well, including the masks, the costumes, the set design, and also, of course, the games. I hoped that they would not be too difficult to understand, that they would be easily accepted and also be seen as something very original and refreshing. Um, and that was what was behind my uh, going behind uh, in my mind throughout the creation process to create something that would be relatable, that would be easy to understand, and that would be entertaining for the global audience. And for JJ and Hoyan, what did you think of director Wong's scripts when you first read them? For me, um, uh, my initial response was that I cried a lot and laughed a lot while reading the script. And in my mind, what I was constantly focusing on was how I was going to bring the character's head up to life through my acting performance. I don't think this is something that applies to every actor, but I think generally actors have a hard time reading the story or the script from an audience's point of view, especially when you're just starting out like myself. So I have to, um, you know, I, I regret regret to admit that rather than focusing on the message of the story, I was more focused on how I was going to do this. Um, for me, as a longtime fan of director Hwang's films, I had very high hopes for the script, and I was not disappointed, to say the least. Um, the story, as well as the very intricate character dynamics and the conflict, it was so just such, uh, it was written in such a detailed manner. So the, the only response I could have was that it was such a well-written script. Um, but then I got to thinking, how was he going to create and bring to life the visuals that are going to be needed to portray the story? Story. And when I was there on the set and aside with my own eyes, I have to say they were way, way more than what I could have ever expected over tenfold. Um, so I couldn't help but be surprised when, whenever I saw every new set. And all of the character conflict, they were written in such a way that had very much depth. And it was also so entertaining that rather than focusing on how I was going to perform this, I had confidence that all I needed to do was closely follow director Hang's guidance and, and leadership in telling the story. And then uh, JJ and Hoyan, throughout filming, what was it like working with director Wong and how did he help you better understand your character and the story? Uh, I would have to say that director Hang is not really the overly uh, explaining type. He tends to suggest or allude in terms of his directions. So I really appreciated that. And the reason for that is because when everything is explained to me, I feel like I wouldn't have been given the opportunity to go through the process of understanding the character and the story on my own, almost to the point where I don't think it would have been a collaboration. 
Um, however, he, despite having so much experience, especially working with a, a novice actor like me, he didn't do that. He really made it a true collaboration in that sense, which I really appreciate. I have to say my experience was a little bit different from Hoyan's. I was not given as much freedom, I have to say. Um, but for me, I think it's because from episode one to the very last episode, because Gihun is at the center of the narrative, it had to be more detailed and more intricately planned out, I would have to say, because all of the story structure is so, so concrete and very intricate. Any little difference, any um, anything that's a little off in the beginning of the story may lead to confusion later on, which is why I believe the director had to be a little bit more um, detailed and concrete when it came came to his directions regarding how we were going to portray Ki-hun, because it had to go according to the intricate plan. So again, I wasn't given as much freedom as Hoyan, and, and that's why I'm tearing up a little. I don't remember any of it. And I think the director Hwang, his vision was he wanted the director and the character Ki-hun to um, breathe together almost throughout the process and throughout the story. And so in the very beginning, I did have some, uh, you know, I, I, it required some time for me to truly understand where he was coming from. But but I would have to say, after about five rounds of shooting, I was fully, uh, you know, I understood what was going on. And I was actually asking him more questions, wanting to really um, be in line with his vision. And um, for everyone, once the show premiered on Netflix, what surprised you about how people responded to it? Well, for me, what surprised me the most had to be how much love and, you know, how people around the world, uh, regardless of their nationality or age, how they loved the show altogether so much. So that was the biggest surprise. And another, um, and this was quite funny, was that in episode two, there's a scene where the character's Hangu is inside a tub and he's actually attempting suicide with a charcoal briquette. But because that's not something you see often in other parts of the world, people... I noticed that they didn't understand that he was trying to take his own life. Some people were saying that, oh, why is he enjoying a bath in the hot tub in his suit? And so that was something quite funny to me, the fact that it didn't really travel to other cultures. And so Director Wong, with how, you know, seeing how people didn't understand that scene or how they responded to the series, is that affecting how you're developing the second season? Well, the basic approach is that, and this is the, also the case for season one as well, but I want to make something that is understandable to anyone around the world, something that resonates with people anywhere around the world. Um, so I, I do think that there are still going to be maybe some cultural codes where a little misunderstanding is inevitable, um, but I will not be focusing on anything that is too uh, culturally unique to Korea, and I'm looking to make it as easily understandable as possible. Something that was so fascinating about the show and why a lot of people loved it is that it was so unique in how every character was flawed and, and at least at the beginning had made choices that were seen as unlikable or, or antagonistic. And it's, it's very unusual to have a show made entirely of antagonists without the true protagonist hero at the center of the story. And so did you ever worry about viewers not rooting for the characters who do eventually become heroes in the end? 
yes, I was concerned about that. And in particular, the concern was focused on Ki-hun, the main character, because he is someone you have to follow th all throughout the story, at the center of the story. And you see him first as a gambling addict who takes his mom, you know, money, who steals from his mom to go gamble. Um, so me, as well as JJ, we both had some concerns about, and we talked about what if people don't like him? What if people don't feel like they want to root for him? Or what if people don't understand where the Ki-hun is coming from? Um, and what I wanted to put in the story was, even though this is where you meet Ki-hun as an audience, you see him at this particular point in his life, he is not, he has not always been that way, right? Something, you know, his true humanity is hidden somewhere else. And so that led to that particular scene where he buys that, uh, he buys some fish, the mackerel, right? And then he was returning home, he meets a stray cat and he shares a piece of fish with the cat. And that's, that, that scene was put in there in particular to highlight that very point that Kihun was not always like this. There were reasons, um, you know, societal reasons that made him into the person that he is now, but inside he holds his true humanity at heart. And for JJ and Hoyan, what was that like for you diving deeper into these characters that in the beginning at least weren't seen as, you know, protagonist heroes and, and you had to find the humanity deeper in who they are? Well, for me, I've always thought that whether someone is seen as a hero or a villain, it's really to the eye of the beholder. Um, it's very subjective. And as for my characters, Hebyeok, as well as all the other characters in Squid Game, I don't think I've ever felt like they were unlikable. Rather, I think I saw them as being very human. And by being human, I think you can be seen as a villain or a hero, depending on what situation you're in, and also looking at the environments that have affected this, the particular figure all throughout their lives. And so I didn't find it too hard to finding uh, the reasons behind the way they were acting or to relate to how they were feeling. As for my character, Ki-hoon, uh, I understood him to be someone who really tried his best to live the best as possible, to work hard and to make the best of what he was given. Um, and unfortunately, he's someone who came to the realization that at times in life, doing your best and working hard just doesn't cut it. Uh, there are things that happen without your against your will, against uh, the amount of effort you put into your life. And I think gambling is one of the things that he was sort of um, forced to turn to almost. It was probably, I understood it as it being his best uh, in his particular circumstance. So looking at it from that perspective, I felt a lot of pity for my character, ki -hun. And like Director Hong said, his being good at heart and the way he wanted to really try and make the best of his life and work hard, I wanted to bring those aspects of him to life through my acting performance. And I really didn't want him to be seen as somebody who, uh, when you look at his life, the way he's living now, I didn't want people to think that it was because of his bad choices that he had made 
or because it was he, it's because he's a bad person. Because when you start to think of it from that perspective, when you are not rooting for the character, then that totally undermines the different emotions, uh, the different emotional turmoil, and the storyline that comes towards the later part of the story. So I really wanted to focus my performance on trying to bring to life a character that you could feel for, that you could root for, maybe feel a little pity for, and someone who you can tell tried his best to live his life. And for everyone, what was the hardest scene to bring to life from the first season? All the games were very difficult to realize because it was all, you know, part of my imagination and there was nothing really to refer to either. Um, among those games, though, I would have to say that the very first game with many people on the scene, Red Light, Green Light, had to be the most difficult. And the reasons for that is because it was towards the very beginning. It was the very first game uh, that I was showcasing to the audience. And also it was the biggest scale with 400 people on the scene. And so I was concerned about, you know, is this going to be real, you know, am I going to be able to make it as convincing as possible? Is it going to be entertaining? Is the massacre going to be convincing yet horrifying, which is what I wanted it to be? And how is Younghee going to come across uh, to the audience? So I, there were just so many question marks inside my head shooting, while shooting the scene. I was very concerned, uh, quite worried and nervous, but it was also one of the most rewarding scenes to shoot. Well, the director said that the games were the most difficult, but for me personally, uh, the game scenes for my character, because it has such a obvious goal, you have to survive, right? You have to, to live. It was less challenging for me in terms of understanding my character's emotions compared to other scenes. Um, what came to me more, you know, what was more challenging for me to portray the character was when there were scenes where it required my character to make choices outside of the game. So when you're trying to team up with someone, or when my character had to ask for help from others, those were very difficult for me compared to the scenes in the games. And personally, there were some scenes that were shot for the uh, parts that are seen in episode two, where Sebeok is outside of the game. He go, She goes to meet her brother and there's a scene with her uh, and the broker as well. And they were shot towards the very beginning of our entire shooting process. And I was having a difficult time there because I think I was doubting myself. I was doubting my own understanding of the character. I wasn't sure if I had really built sort of the emotions and, and her understanding of the situation in the shoes of Sebyeok, so that had to be the most difficult uh, scene for me. I think it had to be the early shoots for me as well. And like I mentioned before, it was important for me to make sure that my character, Kihun, was not someone that you were completely turned off by, someone that was really unlikable. So though that was really the, the focal point of my concerns in terms of my performance. Um, you know, I always I thought, you know, should I make him seem a little bit more immature, a little endearing or acute, rather? Um, and I really wanted to make sure that the audience were convinced of the, the reason why he made the choice to take part in these horrific games himself. 
and also the emotions that go through his his mind during the first game you know questions like how could this be you know is this real how could things like this happen to me um, and so i think it would have to be the biggest challenge would have to be bringing to life my character towards the early parts of the story as well as in the first game so I think the most important thing was that if the audience were to look at Kihun, I really wanted the audience to think if I were him, I would participate in Squid Game 2. Um, and also when you walk into the set where the games are actually played, I really wanted to make sure that the whole experience of the games seemed so real that you would win the audience over. And Hoyan, you recently said that you were so happy while filming your character's death scene. So what about that scene made it so enjoyable for you as an actor? It, it was that um, once I'm done with this, there's only two more shooting days. <laughs> no, just kidding. So when shooting that scene of, um, of Sebyeok, uh, I, I first have to preface it by saying that Squid Game is such a meaningful project in my life, not just a part of my career, but just the, the, uh, the entire process and the times that I have spent wanting to study the character and also just all of the experience itself, it holds such great and deep meaning that I was reminded of all of the hardships, all of the, the you know, enjoyable moments and how I was really saying goodbye to not just the character, but this length of uh, process that was so meaningful to me as part of my life. So I think that's where my emotions were coming from. It was almost as if I were saying goodbye to that era of my life. And so I said happy because, it, it, and I wouldn't say it's an accurate expression. I think it was because of my uh, English fluency that I said the word happy, but it was more a mixture of feelings where I felt happy, but I also didn't want it to end. And, you know, it was just a mixture of more complex feelings. Fantastic. Well, thank you everyone for talking about Squid Game and the Emmys with me. And I wish you good luck on the night of the Emmys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Sydney, I got to say that was uh, that was quite the killer interview, which I guess is appropriate for this show. <laughs> so nicely, nicely <laughs> done there. Well, first of all, I got to say uh, so many people everywhere who love the show are excited for season two. I know we're going to have to wait a bit for that, but um I, I, I'm just so interested to see where they're going to go with that. Beyond that, uh, that entire part of the discussion about how how the director kind of treated his actors differently, um, that's that's kind of fascinating because you would think, you know, kind of equity for all, but no, it really kind of worked to the advantage of the, the, the point of their characters and what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I found that so fascinating and also <laughs> clearly that they they did not even realize that about their their co-stars that they they had such Surprise. different treatment from <laughs> director Wong. <laughs> yeah. That was that was hilarious. Oh, uh, well, um these these folks, I cannot wait to see them at the Emmys. I am sure they're going to have an incredible time regardless of what happens, but Lots of folks out there rooting for them, and we will find out how all of that goes on September 12th. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for uh, for that interview and for joining me here today. Um, I will see you on Slack. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
of course, happy to have you here. Folks, that is it for this episode of The Awardist. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week. This episode of The Awardist Podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.